Now, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 once again. I've been working through Luke, as you know. Last week, we read about the birth of Christ, and you might say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't quite sync up. I mean, we should be talking about the birth of Christ today, right? Right? Well, think of it this way. Every Christmas, the poor last half of Luke chapter 2 gets ignored. Every Christmas, we stop right in the middle of the chapter. It's like, it's like being the third verse of a hymn in a Baptist hymnal. No one ever sings you. And in Luke chapter 2, once we have the birth of Jesus, we move right on. Well, we're not going to move right on. Jesus has been born, and now he's being brought into the temple. And we're going to read what happens there. It's extraordinary. If you look in Luke 2, verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So Jesus, the infants, brought to the temple, and Simeon, this ancient saint, who so longed to see the coming of the kingdom of God, the consolation of Israel, and so longed to see the coming king, Messiah. This Simeon 
who had been told that he would see Messiah with his own eyes, before he died, Messiah would come. This Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit into the temple at that precise moment, and he sees him. A few moments later, Anna, a woman who spent her days in fasting and prayer, seeking God, no doubt also waiting for the consolation of Israel, she came up and she saw him with her own eyes and spoke about to others of how the Messiah had come. God was keeping his promise to the people. This was a time for rejoicing. And Simeon rejoiced and Anna rejoiced as well. But there's also a sober note injected here because Simeon turns to Mary and he says, not everyone's going to rejoice. There will be some who speak against your son. The sword will pierce your own soul. You will experience deep, soul-aching grief because of your son. Well, that wasn't expected. I mean, this is, this is a word of hope and joy. God in grace is reaching out to the world, and yet in spite of God's goodness in reaching out, there is a resistance on the part of some, and it says they will fall. In fact, this child will be for the falling and the rising of many. Some will fall. They will, as it says elsewhere in the New Testament, stumble over Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone and the image is of somebody tripping over that stone, the stone that God has placed there that is immovable. People resist the will of God and they stumble over that stone. Others, others will rise. In the Greek, the word refers to resurrection. They will rise from the dead and they will be saved. Two groups of people based on how they respond to Christ how we respond to Christ is a revelation. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That's what Simeon says. And so everything comes down to Christ. He is the litmus test. I remember in ninth grade science, we did a litmus test. We had litmus paper, and we dipped it in a liquid to see if it was acidic. If it was acidic, this light blue paper would turn red. And sure enough, you dip it down in and it was red. A litmus test. It doesn't tell you what the pH balance of the liquid is. It's an either-or kind of thing. It's acidic or it's not acidic. It gives you a single answer. That's what a litmus test is. It's one factor. It's the one thing that determines everything else. And so Jesus is the litmus test. How do we respond to him, this one that God has sent to be savior of the world? That's the one thing that matters ultimately. That's the one thing that determines whether we fall or whether we rise. Now, you understand when it talks about stumbling or falling, it is about Jesus and it's not about us stumbling or falling into sin. You know, ultimately, it's not sin that keeps us out of heaven. It's not sin that ruins our lives, not really because God has given a Savior. See, I, as a sinner, come to the Savior. The key issue is how I deal with Jesus. It's not stumbling into sin. It's stumbling over Jesus. That's the 
deepest problem of all. And so there are lots of ways that people can stumble. Uh, For example, you can stumble through denial. Here I'm thinking of self-righteousness. You just don't think you need Jesus. You're doing just fine like you are. And remember Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the self-righteous is what he meant, those who don't feel their need of God. He's a savior. If you don't need salvation, then you're not interested in Jesus. You have stumbled over him. He becomes the, the cause of a fall. Or it might be incompatibility. Think about Pilate looking on Jesus, this pathetic Jewish prophet. Pilate represented power and glory. He stood for all that Rome stood for, all the things that people sought for centuries. And this Jesus, who is he? He he scorned him. He dismissed him because there was no compatibility in his heart for what he wanted and what he valued and what Jesus represented. So he stumbled over Jesus. He didn't just stumble into sin. We all stumble into He stumbled over Jesus. Or condescension. That's common today. People say, oh, Jesus was a good man, but he doesn't have unique authority. See, they condescend to Jesus. Oh, he was so good. He just loved everyone. We should follow his teaching. But then you kind of brush the teaching aside and don't pay attention to it because the teaching says you have to follow me. And so we can stumble over Jesus by saying, well, he was a good man, but he doesn't really have authority. There are all sorts of ways we can stumble. And so when Jesus comes into the world, he comes to save the world, not to condemn it. The Bible makes that so clear. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. But then in the perversity of our own unbelief, we can resist Jesus. And that's what Simeon is telling Mary. And that's why he says, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer grief. He's looking forward. He doesn't see it clearly, but he's looking forward to Good Friday. You know, in fact, if you think in your mind, Draw a line from Christmas to Good Friday and to Easter. That line is a hinge on which turns the destiny of every human being. What will we do with Jesus? Now, this is all a sobering note. I get it. I mean, you read this passage, and it's a passage that's full of joy, and yet there's this troubling, troubling warning also. That's all true. But keep this in mind, that those who have fallen, those who have stumbled over Jesus can nevertheless rise again. They can still find salvation because God's purpose is tenacious. Jesus taught that himself. Later on in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 15, he tells three stories to drive that point home. He talks about a shepherd, a sheep strays, one sheep gets lost somewhere out in the countryside. The shepherd pens up the other sheep to keep them safe and goes and seeks, pursues that lost sheep till he finds it. Then he carries it home. Or 
You have a woman who loses a small coin. You know, in the houses of that time, they were very small. They were rather dark. They didn't have glass windows everywhere. And they had oil lamps that don't put out a lot of light. So if you drop something on the stone floor, the cracks between those stones, they would just gobble things up. Archaeologists have actually found things caught in the gaps between the stones old stone floors that they've unearthed, things that people lost. So you have this woman who loses a coin and she can't find it. Where is it? She lights her lamp to get as much light as she can. She begins to sweep through. Maybe she gets on her hands and knees and she starts digging in the cracks. But she's seeking, seeking, seeking. And as the shepherd is like God who pursues us, so this woman is like God who seeks us even in the cracks of life. And then, paradoxically, God also waits. Jesus tells the story of a son who got his inheritance early and went off into the far country and squandered everything on wild living. When it finally occurred to him it was time to go home, he makes his way, and the father, who had been waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, sometimes waiting is a form of seeking too. He waited and he looked, and when he saw the sun coming, still a far distance away, he runs to meet him something no self-respecting head of the household in that culture would ever have done running in public like that. But his son had returned. So Jesus teaches each one of these, these stories in order to drive home a point that God pursues, God seeks us, God waits for us, So even if we stumble, even if we fall, there's still hope. There's still hope because God is good and Christ is a Savior. And that's what Christmas underlines more than anything else. It's not as if everything just became wonderful once Jesus came. We know that. Just look around at the world. Everything's not wonderful. But what is wonderful, what changes everything, is that we know that no one is outside the love of God, that God's purpose, his saving purpose remains, and that whoever will respond, whosoever will respond, will receive mercy and forgiveness and grace. And so the coming of Jesus, I was about to say that's everything, but it's Christmas to Good Friday and Easter. That's the hinge. Everything turns on that hinge, the whole picture of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So no wonder we celebrate year by year. No wonder we celebrate. And this is that time that we're able to share with others about Christ. A lot of people want Christmas without Jesus because they just don't understand we can help them understand. We can pray and we can share. Amen? Amen. I want you to pray with me now. And if you you don't know the Christ, 
who came and died on a cross for you, if you don't know him in a, in a personal way, if you have not personally chosen to enter into relationship with him, that is to receive him as your Savior and your Lord, you can do that now. Remember, God's purpose is to save, but that creates possibilities, not inevitabilities. He's not going to run roughshod over you. You have to engage with God. You have to make that choice. Now, he, by his spirit, is helping you do it, but you still have to do it. We've all had to do it. Those of us in this room who would say, yes, I'm a Christian, will all tell you we had to make that decision. And we had to make it knowing that we were sinners and that we didn't deserve God's love and grace and forgiveness. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it now. You don't deserve it, but you can have it. You can have it. You really can. Today, today. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for how you did not turn away from us when you could have, but to us that you've sent a Savior for us, that you have pursued, you have sought, you have waited all that you might might make us yours. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that stumbling into sin and having flaws, that's not a problem when it comes to, to knowing you and being with you forever. Not when you've given a Savior. We know the real issue is how will we respond to him? And so we ask you to give us grace, all of us, Lord. Give all of us grace to know Jesus better, to love him more deeply, to follow him more truly. And Lord, for those that are even at this moment asking you to become their Lord and Savior, will you, by the power of your Spirit, give them, Lord, a sense of your nearness, and may they be born again. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? If you have prayed to receive Christ this morning, one of the most important things for you to do right now is to tell somebody that you've done it, to confess that you've done it. It's important to draw a line in the sand and step across. So I want you to tell, maybe you're with a family member, you know, you might be visiting family, that's why you're at church this morning. You might be a family member who's been telling you need to follow Christ for years and you don't want to give them the satisfaction. But go ahead and give them the satisfaction. Tell them. Tell them. And for all of us, this is a time to celebrate. All our imperfect families come together, but they're the families God gave us. And we love one another, knowing that the good God is with us through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.